the way you present choices, you know, context and how you present a choice will impact the decision that someone is going to make. The thing to note, whether you think about it or not, you are influencing the decision someone is going to make. So you might as well think about it in advance and present it in the best way possible. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPaws Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. Hello, hello, positive leaders. Oh, it's so great to be back with everybody again. Uh, We're so excited to have a really super special smart guest on today, Melina Palmer. Uh, Melina is the founder of The Brainy Business and The Brainy Business Podcast. She is a behavioral economics guru, author of What Your Customer Wants and Can't Tell You, and teaches applied behavioral economics at Texas A&M University. Uh, Melina was a guest speaker at the Veterinary Hospital Manager Association meeting, I believe it was last year, and spoke on pricing related to smelling cookies. I think that was your topic. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome aboard, Melina. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for coming in. We're excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So we have a tradition on the show where we don't read a bio, although um, I read a lot of it, which is awesome. Uh, (laughs) Tell our audience, you know, about yourself and, um, you know, what got you into behavioral economics and what makes you tick. Yeah, so I got my undergrad in marketing, business administration and marketing. And I remember there was just one section of one book in one class, just this little tiny tidbit that was about buyer psychology and why people do the things they do. And I was just amazed and thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to go back at some point, whenever I go back to you know school, I'm going to get my master's in this. Like MBA is not for me. This is what I'm going to do. And I spent the better part of 10 years calling universities and asking for programs and everybody saying, you know, that's not a thing, uh, doesn't exist. You can create your own if you want, which I'm like, well, like, don't need to pay you if I know what I need to study. So I guess I won't do that. And um, was doing other work, uh, running a marketing department and was in this in essentially like an innovation fellowship. Uh, there was this two-year program. And they uh, brought in speakers from what's called the Center for Advanced Hindsight at Duke University, uh, which is their behavioral economics arm. And they were talking about the research that they were doing. And I knew that that was what I had been looking for for a decade and cornered them and made them tell me all about their work and found myself a master's program in behavioral economics and then realized pretty quickly in that program, the things that were so clear to me about applying behavioral economics, how it works for business and marketing and communication just really wasn't out in the world yet. It's a relatively new field, so it was still very academic, and then decided, I guess I'll do that then, (laughs) and started my podcast and my business, and here we are. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, my gosh. Very cool. And that's so cool how you kind of fell into that passion. That's really what a lot of us in veterinary medicine have done as well. We either wanted to go into the field, or we kind of fell into it and just became super passionate about it. So the other kind of tradition we have here at the Positive Leadership Podcast is to ask you about a favorite book or podcast or kind of continuing ed course or or, or class that really left a lasting effect on you. So something that was so memorable. I mean, you mentioned one about kind of 
getting into behavioral economics, but is there another one or, or something that you just worship and listen to? Yeah, my all-time favorite book is called A More Beautiful Question, and it's by Warren Berger. And I was reading about it, you know, in the sort of as I was delving in on that innovation stuff, but it it really looks at how powerful questions have inspired amazing companies. And so it talks about Kodak and how Whiteout was made and the Cheetah prosthetic limb and Airbnb and Netflix, all these things and how they came from asking the right question that someone was super passionate about. It teaches you how to ask better questions. It's just fantastic. And actually a lot of my work where I know, um, you know, you you both have you know been listening to the podcast. You know I talk about questions all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I work with you know clients on question storming instead of brainstorming. It's just it can change businesses. And so a more beautiful question, highly recommend. I'll have to check that one out. I always say that when a one of our guests come on with this something out of the box I never would have thought out or you know never in my wildest dreams would I have come across on Amazon Prime or anything else. And I think ooh great. And then now my my nightstand is like piled high with all these books. I'm like, okay, now I have to actually like dive into these and start getting into these books. Yep, I, I hear that. <laughs> what about behavioral economics made you so passionate? Why this study? What what about it that is intriguing to you, especially like on a 10-year search of trying to find something in that area or that focus? Like, tell me more about why behavioral economics is, is your jam. The thing about behavioral economics is, you know, when we look at any of our work uh, that we do, whether you run a veterinary practice or run a consultancy like I do or whatever, when you're in, and at that point, you know, I was in a marketing department and you'd hear people, you've probably heard people say, man, our job would be so much easier if it wasn't for the customers. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, do we uh, know like the that? the reason why we're in business. <laughs> yeah. it, it's such a common thing to say, but then if you consider what that really means and understanding behavior, you know, is it their, is it actually that they're doing something wrong and not accepting an offer or is it, you know, your responsibility in the way that it's presented? And if you understood how the brain made decisions, how might that make it easier to where it's, it's the simplest thing for somebody to adopt whatever you're recommending to them, you know, being able to make it easy on them and that communication and everything. And so what the behavioral sciences do is, helps us to uncover how the brain actually makes decisions instead of what we think people should do. I like to say it, the brainy business should is a four letter word, you know? Mm, I like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that is just you know, understanding those rules of the brain. And the reason the field even came about is because in traditional economics, you assume logical people making rational choices and everything that they do. And we're all human and we know that's not the world that we live in. So yeah. Right. So instead of just saying, well, that's too bad. Eventually they'll realize that this is what they should do. <laughs> we can know, well, if I framed it a little bit differently, if I said this in a different way, if I included a, a number here or this there, that it can very greatly increase the likelihood that someone will move forward with an offer and be really excited about it. And you don't have to actually change pricing or anything like mm -hmm. that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you you know, coming from your website and your podcast, uh, and, I, and I'm sure that this is like probably chapter one in the behavioral economics book and is nowhere near like a, a treatise, but you have, you kind of nicely summarize the six areas, or I should say maybe concepts related to behavioral economics. And I'm going to list them and I'm sure you already are going to say the brain can't handle six things at one time, right? Like, uh, you know, it's not, it's not in a small <laughs> piece, but let's go through them. You know, so framing is one of them, framing priming, anchoring, I'm kind of like trying to in my head, like use a physical motion anchoring, right? Um, relativity, loss aversion, I see two kids fighting over something, right? And scarcity. So do you mind just maybe giving us a really short and you know, what is framing? What is priming? What are like a, a quick example of each? Because then I think it really, oh my God, I'm going to say it frames our discussion uh -huh. uh, related to th those kind of really what seemed like maybe really great concepts to grab onto for behavioral economics. And if you get an idea of those six, you're probably 
doing better than a lot of folks, right? So would, would that be okay with you? We'd love to hear that. As far as concepts happening in the brain and things we look at in the behavioral sciences, there are hundreds. And so trimming that down to where it's not overwhelming yes, right. <laughs> is where you come with, uh, you know, some of the top things. And so my book actually has 16 concepts that I think are most impactful for businesses to kind of jump in and do something with, which includes things like pain of paying and reciprocity and some more than we're there. I think maybe there's a see more or something below those six. That being said, I will talk about the ones that you brought up because why not? <laughs> I love them all. And actually those awesome. are in order as they come up in this area of the book. So oh, you know, framing is the first concept for a reason, because I think it's one of the most important ones. So framing is that how you say something matters more than what you are saying. And my favorite example of this is if you were to imagine you go to the grocery store and you're needing to buy yogurt, let's say, and you are looking for, uh, you see one stack that's labeled as 90% fat free and the ones next to it are labeled as 10% fat and everything else is exactly the same. You know, which one do you feel like you want to buy? Uh, for most people, 90% fat free feels way better than 10% fat, even though logically we know it's the same thing. Same right, thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it just hits your brain differently. So that being the way you say something matters more than what stat or, or number you're actually putting out there. Priming. So priming is that when something that happens before <laughs> uh, impacts the decision or something that someone is going to make. So in this case, there was a study that was done where um, you know, people were asked to work together on a project and, uh, half of the time there was a backpack in sight in the room and half the time there was a briefcase. Nobody said they ever even noticed it, but those in the backpack room were more cooperative than those in the briefcase room because of the associations wow. that we have with backpacks, right? It makes us think right. of school, um, where we're working yes. on group projects and, briefcases, mm -hmm, we're thinking mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. boardrooms and competition and you know, right. things like that. Work. Yeah. So by having the knowledge that something so simple that, again, nobody was able to say, oh, yeah, there was a backpack over there, so this is why I was more agreeable. No. <laughs> nobody realizes it, but it has an impact because our brains are very literal in the way that they make associations. Anchoring would be the knowledge that numbers have a really big impact on the brain. And anchoring is both a form of framing and priming. <laughs> uh, so it kind of, you know, comes down the line. My favorite example of this is a study that was done with grocery store end cap displays. So in one situation, they said, Snickers bars, buy them for your freezer. And the other half said Snickers bars by 18 for your freezer, which, you know, most people can agree even in, <laughs> yeah, like even in pandemic, early pandemic days, you probably weren't buying yeah, right. 18 <laughs> Snickers bars. Probably uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, you had more valuable things to put in the freezer. So uh, if you were the one creating that message, you would likely think, wow, that's arbitrary number and I don't want to have to justify that and someone's going to have to ask where I come up with it. And, you know, uh, them is unlimited and people could get a hundred Snickers bars if they wanted. All these things your logical brain is going to say to make you feel like you're making a good choice. And it probably doesn't matter that much anyway, but <laughs> because I'm talking about it, you know it does. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And the sales actually increased 38% when the number 18 was used instead of wow. the word them. Wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's so weird. And nothing else changing. And really the reason would be, you know, with the word them, if you even notice it, you know, maybe you get two um, or three or, or whatever. Uh, but with 18, you have this moment, you know, we go 18, like way better than everybody else. I don't need 18. I'll just get six. <laughs> so that yeah. adjustment down and them is actually kind of a fancy word for zero. 
in the way that that's set up. Um, so hmm. when you look also at the like the question behind the message, this is a framing piece as well. What you are asking someone when we have the them, you know, the question really that's there is, do you want Snickers bars? On the other side, when we have the number 18, it's a how many do you want to buy? You know, there's an implied sale there. Yeah, there's no, yeah, yes or no option. It's you are taking them. So how many are you taking? And so it's just a tiny shift, but it makes all the difference. And again, you don't have to, they didn't have to invest in extra signage or any of that. It's just what you're already doing. The framing. Just a little tiny shift. So that's, you know, anchoring, including framing and priming there. Uh, Relativity is showing how our brains have a hard time valuing one-off items. And so we need comparison points to help us determine if something is a good deal or not. And a friend of mine who I've had on the podcast before, um, he has a really great example in his book, which is, so I want you to imagine you're going to buy a couch and you get there at the store and you say, Hey, how much is this couch? And they say, it's $900. Oh, um, sorry. My mistake. 700. Now I take a step back, Hmm. same store, same couch. Mm -hmm. You walk in and they say, you say, how much is this couch? And they say $500. Oh, I'm sorry. My mistake. It's seven hundred dollars. Oh, <laughs> whoops! Yeah, you right. gotta sell it to me for five hundred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So the couch was never nine hundred or five hundred dollars. It was always seven hundred. So why did that like person misspeaking make any difference whatsoever? But you feel completely different about the couch. Right. Right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So, interesting. So, yeah. So that relative comparison makes a really big difference in the way that you feel about the idea of buying, you know, whatever they're, they're talking about in that way. So, okay. That was four. And I know we said there were six. What were the other two? Yeah. Lost, lost aversion and scarcity. All right. Making it through. So, uh, loss aversion is, and scarcity actually are ones that are probably easier to come to mind for anybody. But, uh, you know, we, as, Humans are naturally averse to losing things. Shocking. Uh, and there's a reason there's pictures of kids on there. Anybody who has children and has been having them home in, uh, you know, pandemic or whatever. And like, this is my favorite toy. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> uh, so we don't really grow out of that. And studies have found over multiple, multiple contexts that we are twice as likely to feel the pain. So we feel twice as much pain from a loss as we do from a gain, the joy we feel for a gain. So the example for this would be, you know, if you were, um, going, uh, through, you put on a new jacket or pair of pants or something you haven't worn in a while and you reach into the pocket and you find $20. Yay. Like, Yay me, that's exciting. And you might tell somebody that day, yeah, maybe tomorrow, but are you talking about that a week from now, a year from now? Short term. <laughs> yeah. When yeah. you put on those right. pants next time, you're like, oh, these are the Narnia pants. Like, you know, there's a ma- magical <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. extra $20 in here. No, you yeah, forget. Exactly. Not that big of a deal. So the flip being, so imagine you're going to an event that only takes cash and you have to stop by the ATM and you know that a hundred dollars is going to be way more than you need, but you don't want to have to stop again. So you get your hundred bucks, you go and you reach into your wallet to pay for parking and realize you only have four $20 bills and you're searching frantically to try to find like, are they stuck together? Did one fall between the seats? And no, you've lost $20. That feels a lot more painful in that context. And you'll probably remember every time you go past that ATM or that parking lot or see signage for that event, go, oh, 10 years ago when I was going to go there. Yeah, it's more, it's more <laughs> right. memorable. Mm-hmm. And you definitely yeah. feel it a lot more. The error that businesses make is where we've looked, you know, and you say, well, people like things. We should give them more things. And so we have a buy 10, get one free. And if you do this, then eventually you get this other thing. 
if instead something is communicated as a potential loss, it can be much more impactful. And it doesn't have to be negative. So if we wanted to dig into that more, I'm happy to do that. Um, The last one being scarcity, we value things that we think are more rare. And that is actual, you know, products that can be time. So as an example for a vet clinic, where it may feel difficult to say that there isn't time on the calendar, or to say we only have one appointment this month left or whatever that is, and you try to squeeze people in because you'd feel bad. But if you do say, you know, the doctor has one appointment at 3 p.m. on, you know, two weeks from now, would you like it? And you don't move heaven and earth to find another time if they can't. Uh, People are more likely to value that time. They're less likely Mm -hmm. to cancel. They're more likely to show up. They're more likely to pre-appoint. Yeah, it's coveted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only one left and it's coveted. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we value those scarce items higher. So I'm just... My little hamster on his wheel is just going like a hundred miles an hour <laughs> yeah. right now because I have to. I have to be yeah, honest. Same here. When we put this together, like I googled a lot of this shit. I was like, "What is all this like vocabulary one hundred and one? <laughs> right. What is going on?" Yeah. So, in veterinary medicine, we obviously we use all of these because it's business, right? And just our brain. And and I think. I'm just, all these things are resonating with me as you are giving some examples and, and talking about how these kind of integrate with each other, you know, kind of one on top of another. And in veterinary medicine, we have this other emotional aspect to it because we are dealing and handling with people's pets. So like a pediatrician, their beloved child, but even more so their beloved fur child, which your fur child never talks back to you, right? Your (laughs) fur child, you know, carries so much value. They are always excited to see you. They never ignore you. They never tell you the wrong thing, right? They're they're this beloved fur baby. And on the veterinary side, our teams that work in this profession have so much empathy and compassion for our patients that we almost felt obligated to offer goods and services that we feel are so important. And then on the back end, we just get these accusatory clients that are harp on us for being salesy or they don't perceive a value in that. So we talk a lot with our veterinary teams about perceived value to our clients and how we can add more value into something so that they feel it's super important for their pet to do. And it's, I mean, these are like basic things like vaccines and annual blood tests and doing prophylactic dental procedures on our patients. Like this is not something where you're saying like, you know, major hip replacements. That's, you know, a a requirement for this pet to keep on living. You know, that's extra income type thing. I'm just talking about like the basics, right? Like just the basic things. And we still feel like and be accused about being salesy and salesmen. And so tell me how we can integrate some behavioral economics to either bridge this gap or make us feel more empowered to say, we need to quote, sell this particular product or service to our clients that in your book, what your customer wants and can't tell you, like we're, we want to tell you what your patient needs. You don't know what your patient needs, what your fur baby needs. We do. And we want to offer this to you without having to feel guilty or like deflect what's coming at us because we've approached it wrong or said it wrong or framed it wrong. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So whether it's reassuring or not, this is something that uh, I, I speak to and have clients in all sorts of industries. And this is something that pretty much everybody struggles with, <laughs> whether it's veterinary or financial services or entrepreneurs or other corporations. So we're right? not alone. <laughs> uh, you know, so there it is something that can be difficult. And because we as humans, especially when you are setting the prices when you are creating the programs, like a lot of, I'm assuming, you know, you have small veterinary practices that that's something you're doing. And it's not something you feel uber comfortable with setting up anyway. You're already a little bit apprehensive. And so even if you have a hundred people that say yes, that one person that questions or is snarky about it Mm -hmm. is going to stick with you a lot more. That's uh Yes. It's called the focusing illusion, uh-huh. um, which I have an episode about. I don't think it really comes up in the book. But 
this, like something never feels more important than when you're thinking about it. And those things that really just, oh, like the dagger to the heart, you know, you can't let them go. (laughs) And it can impact. Yeah, the one bad (laughs) Right, right. right. Although we have a hundred patients today, they're amazing and we're compliant and went fantastic. And then we see one bad Yelp review and we're like, throw our hands up. And I'm like, everyone hates me and it's never going to be. Exactly. The world's ending. Right. So uh, for one, just if it is helpful, to anybody out there. Um, so studies have shown that people are more likely to believe in you and find you trustworthy and want to buy from you if you have star ratings between 4.2 and 4.7 because it feels like it's honest, whereas if it's just five stars, there's this question of like, did you buy those? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Nobody can be that right. perfect. So there you go. I mean, there's yeah. at least some joy in that one side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Relief>. Yeah, <laughs> but. Sure. Um, when you look at this question that you were asking about, as far as how do we make it so that it's easier for people on the other side? So for one, if it is really, you know, the one in a hundred, try to, try to give yourself a little bit of perspective and to know that not everyone is your client for one. And if somebody is going to say, oh, you guys are so overpriced and they're just never going to get it. It's okay to like bless and release that person and move on. Yes. Right. Um, so that's right. Liberate them from your practice. We do not want them anyway. Right. And that's, that's okay. You don't need to fight for those The you know, there's the Pareto principle, the, you know, 80, 20 rule, just yeah. let it, yes. let it go. I like to say Elsa it, yes. right. You can tell I have young kids. Yeah. Let it go, Elsa, that. (laughs) Let it go away. So the other thing in the way that you message, so if you let that get to you where you feel a little bit apprehensive every time you're going to talk about the pricing or the offering or whatever it is because you're hedging against them not wanting it and fighting you on it, just as, you know, Dogs can smell fear. <laughs> the pe- yeah, that customer yes. can tell yes. that there's something off, and they will be more likely to push back or ask for discounts or think that there's something wrong if you don't present it with confidence. So, if you were to say, "Okay, so we really we recommend that when they come in, you know, we have to do blood work and vaccinations, and we look at and do a fecal sample." And I, I know it can be a lot, and maybe it feels like it's really expensive, but it is really important. And I mean, prom- I promise that we, we need to. And you know, if you need a payment plan or something, we can. If it feels like it's too much, wow. <laughs> we, yeah, right. Nobody's going to buy we that. We really primed them <laughs> to think that this yeah. is not a good investment, that you're asking for more than you need to. You don't feel comfortable with it, so why should I? If instead Fair enough. Mm-hmm. you perhaps do a, a bundle, I have a um, you know veterinary client that I work with, um, and we redid some of their packages to be able to say, you know, we have an annual wellness package that we recommend all, you know, adult dogs that are healthy, get all of these things at least once a year. And you can do them, you know, split up if you need to. But what I set them up to do, instead of just assuming that pricing is going to be a problem, for some people it's not. Uh, And there are different barriers to coming into the practice. So if instead you say, do you care most about coming to the vet as few times as possible during the year or about splitting up payments and being able to mix those throughout the year. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Then someone hmm. can tell you, wow. well, what their pain point is right. or what they want. Because if someone has, you know, a cat with very high anxiety or a dog that doesn't like to be around other animals or is a real pain to get in the car, they might just want to come in once a year and get it all done and not worry mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Bang it all out in one visit. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if they're right. able to tell you, man, getting fluffy out the door is a real pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to have to deal with that. You can say, great. These are the things we recommend that all of our adult cats get every year. And we can do that all for you in one visit. And if you do have some sort of a, you know, then they come back and say, well, that's expensive. You know, you say, well, no problem. We have this insurance or we have these mm-hmm. payment plans or whatever. You can mm-hmm. follow up with it. Uh, and if somebody says, yeah, the the pricing is a real burden for me. I really want to do what's best for my dog, but I worry about having this, you know, $800 bill once a year if I bring them in. Once a year. Mm-hmm. And yeah. say, no problem. We are able to split this up between two or three appointments. 
Mm -hmm. You know, whatever works best for you. We make sure they get all the things they need over the year and you can split up those payments. How does that sound? You ready to move forward today? You always want to ask that, you know, ready to go? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Pull the trigger. Right. And it just feels very different. Also, because we are a herding species, like many others, when you say, you know, most people either have a pain point or like most people are concerned either about the number of times they're coming in or the, the amount that they pay, you know, paying once versus per, this. Per invoice. And so yeah. we always ask this question, which of those is more concerning for you? And mm-hmm. they're going to pick, you know, one or the other and say, well, for people mm-hmm. like you who have this concern, mm-hmm. this is the most popular choice or program that mm-hmm. we have. Would mm-hmm. you like to move forward? It just feels very different. They can, it helps with your authority and showing that you know people like them. When people are uncertain, mm-hmm. they're more even more likely to herd. And mm-hmm. so using yeah. that wow. slight tweak in your verbiage makes all the difference. So I want to follow up on this because this is fascinating to me. I think that this is almost extremely counterintuitive to what the majority of... Um, uh, magazines, textbooks, Facebook groups, managers even are telling consultants are, are telling our industry what to do. What I hear them telling, and, and Andrea, you can jump in this too, but is educate, educate, educate. And this is where kind of I'm going into this next question, like framing, you know, and maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I have done a lot of educating in an exam room with a client, whether it be, you know, as a technician that I am and was, you know, whatnot. And I would say that 90% of the clients could care less that the kidney value is related to this. And that's why we do this ex- expert test and blah, 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 blah. That, you know, we'll probably get a lot of hate on the podcast for that. You know, all the scientists that we have, that you know, the, the owners and yeah, the vets right. go, no, but that for so that's long. what we have, mm-hmm. right. We have to beat into our clients that, you know, we have to do a heartworm test. put them through vet school right. in a 30 minute yeah. exam. <laughs> we have to do a heartworm <laughs> test. Well, it's a cat. Why do we do that? Well, because they could get heartworm. Well, because of the vector, because of the da da da. And the people just glaze over. Um, and what you've kind of presented is that pricing is really important. Money is really important, you know? And so as I step back from this, you know, would you, what role does medical education, I guess you could call it, have in these discussions with, with our owners? And so you can put yourself, if you're a pet owner, if you're not, whatever, you can put yourself into that shoes or as the behavioral economics expert. So like framing, I would think is very important in our jobs as managers to say, you know, why, for example, you might bring in your pet once a year and we give you an estimate for exam, blood work, urinalysis, dental, preventative care, blood test, food to go home, you know, let's call it $300, $1,000, doesn't matter. We as the medical professional, well, well, yeah, your pet needs all that stuff and here's why. And we start to pull out the textbook and, you know, read a bunch of studies and say that this, you know, parasite organization, yeah, you know, tells us we've got to do blah, 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 blah. And Melina, I bet you have an answer to this, right? So how do we get the client to, to, to kind of, I guess I'll ask, like, buy into that? Is that even the way to do it? Or, and I'm sure you've got, like, you're like, do we kind of, let's call it, trick them a little into picking the best choice for their for their pet? Um, you know, we often, I think, have that issue where we, we have a hard time letting go of when the client says, I don't want to do any of that, give them the vaccines and I'm out of here. When in reality, that is their choice, but we just get like, you know, gut punched in the sense of, but you need the dental, you need the blood work. We're going to convince you. We're going to convince you because, you know, 76% of pets, yeah, like 76% of pets, um, you know, die of of diabetes. And so we've got to do this blood work. And that's like not, I don't think that's going to convince anybody. So what are your thoughts on how we provide maybe too much, a little, some medical education, uh, and then also, you know, get owners to agree to what could often be called, you know, preventative medicine, which often is seen as, and and what Andrea mentioned, like salesy, upcharging, that kind of thing, um, and and using some of these techniques for that. Yeah, the, in the, like you say, potentially what may feel unpopular and there's a reason why the you know behavioral economists like me are necessarily especially in this applied space why this field is growing so much because our brains so one step back like you're saying it feels very counterintuitive and that's because our brain is uh, everyone is set up of two systems we have i like to just talk about it as conscious and subconscious because it's easy for people to get what I mean. 
And we would like to think that our logical conscious brain is doing most of the stuff all the time. We're smart people, you know, perhaps, you know, you went to many, many years of school <laughs> to get to where you are. And so you assume that that is what's running the show. Um, but studies have found, and, you know, we're learning more about the brain all the time, but, you know, the highest I've seen people put this at is to say that 99.999% of what any brain is doing is done on a subconscious level. Which is crazy. Right. Right? It's just mind yeah. blowing. Yeah. Mind right. blowing. Right. Yeah. And so the low numbers, you know, it's still, you know, 95%. So I like to just say 99 and 1%. But when we sit down and you're going to plan your how you're going to talk about this or create your product or think about what someone, again, should do or care about, you're using your logical kind of that's the selling brain. Like, I just need to tell them all these things. And once they get it, they'll get it. Yes. <laughs> but the subconscious is the one that's doing the buying and the two don't speak the same language. And so one of the great comparisons for this is if you think about a person riding an elephant and think about your brain in this way. The rider is that logical conscious brain. It knows where it wants to go. It can see out into the you know, edge of the path. Like we're going to get there. I got a plan. It should take us four hours or whatever. But if the elephant is distracted or doesn't want to go, or there's a pool of water or whatever, uh, or just wants to sit <laughs> and stop, you can't pull or push or force it down yeah, the path. Right. Um, so you have to make it easy, you know, first motivate the elephant so that it wants to get there to, you know, keep on the path. So because our brains get overwhelmed so easily, like you said, the people there sitting in the office getting overwhelmed, it's not conducive to them making a good decision. It's instead likely that they're going to say, ah, you know, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to talk to my husband. I'm going to do whatever and get back to you later. Maybe next time talk to me about it next time because they just want to get out of there because they don't care. They didn't go to vet school for a reason. <laughs> like it's not what they want yes. to have to deal right. with. Right. It's not their jam. Right. And so picking what is most important to help them make a decision in the moment is much more important. I like to give an example of um, a company. It's called The Literary. And they have gone into essentially helping people to properly throw away and sort their garbage every single time. And so if I was to tell you, you can't do anything else professionally until you solve this problem on a global scale that everyone will properly throw away and sort their garbage, do you th feel like you're locked Yikes. up forever? Overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, right. Not going to well, happen. I'm, yeah, <laughs> that's not going to happen. And I'm stuck here for eternity. <laughs> yes. So uh, if... You look at the problem, though, a little bit differently like they did. There's a different way to motivate the brain. But if you were still tasked with that, you would probably still rely on logic and say, you know, I started researching and if people just knew about Garbage Island and we show one more picture, you know, of a turtle with a straw in its nose or whatever it is and one more brochure, one more video, yeah, yeah. they're going to get it and then they're going to be as passionate as me and tell everybody else. But that hasn't worked for a really long time because it doesn't work that well with our brains. So what the littery has done is instead turned litter into lottery tickets. And by setting it up this way, if you do properly throw away and sort your garbage, you get a notification on your phone. You use their, they have smart garbage cans that they've created and you get a notification that says, David, great job. You've been entered into the lottery Thanks for recycling that bottle. And they tested this at movie theaters, four movie theaters in Sweden over 30 days, which if you don't remember, because maybe it's been a while since you've been yeah, I just to the movie say, theater. Privacy was pre-COVID. Right. And movie theaters are like the grossest place ever <laughs> where people even that are relatively environmentally conscious, you know, feel that someone's going to come pick up my soda cup sticky whatever popcorn bin there's people yeah, for that not my job and it's a <laughs> gross place but what they had over those 30 days on across four movie theaters was 100 percent compliance of every person 
throwing away and properly sorting their garbage without having to be told where it went or how to do it. And they actually had people running through the aisles trying to see if there was something someone had left behind, which there wasn't, so they could get extra. It was every piece of garbage got you a ticket. Oh, wow. That's And women great. rifling. Even extra. Yeah, rifling through their bags to look for tissues and gum wrappers so they could get an extra entry. In that case, the prize was only 5,000 euro, which is still a lot. And yeah. Still, yeah. But if yeah. you think about this being, you know, uh, set up with you know, a statewide lottery or a countrywide lottery system where you could win millions if you throw it away. If instead when you're walking down the street, you see the bottle and you think, ugh, some people are disgusting and just keep going. Now you would see it and go, hey, I could win a million bucks if I throw that thing away. Yes, right. I'm going to participate. Yeah. So the lesson for businesses, and I have an entire episode on this. It's a huge piece of my book. The biggest mistake that companies make or people that are doing anything in their business is not understanding the problem that you are trying to solve uh, for that customer, whatever it happens to be. And so in this case, if you are trying to make someone be as passionate about the problem and understand it in the same way that you do, and that's the goal, you're not motivating them to buy. So if you were to say, would you rather have someone know the exact dimensions of Garbage Island and where it's located, or would you rather just have them throw away the bottle and put it in the right spot? Like, if you only get one, which do you want? And so in this case, too, do you want your customer to be a walking textbook and be able to tell you all about heartworm? Heartworm disease, yeah. Yeah, and fleas and dental and why it matters and whatever. But they're so overwhelmed, you know, now they're going to just go study to be a vet and deal with that later or something? (laughs) Or do you want them to just book the appointment in the right way and have their dog get the treatment that they are supposed to get? And if it is the latter, which I suspect it is, you have to communicate to them in a different way. Yeah. And there's no easy button, right? You know, we're just going to say like, hey, this is what we want to do here. But I think going back to trying to understand what are we trying to sell and then how can we frame that or position ourselves or say something different to get the desired outcome that we want. We don't need to spend 30 minutes lecturing Mm -hmm. on zoonotic diseases and instead we could try this. But there's no easy button to that, but we still have to try something different. Definition of insanity. Yeah. So using the herding so it works in your favor. If you say something like 76% of patients don't I think you said this, David, it was, you know, that the dogs end up uh, dying of heart disease or diabetes, uh, something along those lines. But this creates... Uh, Which sort is of not an... true, by the way. That's totally a... <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> that's totally a false... Uh, it's totally fake. Yeah. So we'll that's not why if anybody's listening, that's not a statistic that I would back up. I'm just making up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, then I don't feel bad. I'll make up something, too. Uh, so if you were to say, l- let's use this to say, you know, 80% of our... Uh, customers or our clients who come in don't invest in their dogs in the way that they should, but you, you know, really need to do X, Y, and Z. You've set up this, what I call unintentional normalizing, because we look at the way the herding is, you've now made it to where even if it was someone who was getting the vaccines and doing stuff and you were praising them for being in the top 20%, they're going to go, well, like if no one else is doing it, I don't need to do that. Why should I? So make Mm -hmm. sure that those herding (laughs) instincts are aligned with the right side of the statistic. Well, herding in the right Right. direction. Yeah. Yeah. So don't just go throwing out numbers and things because it can be very overwhelming and people could glom on to the wrong thing. So again, if you make a package, you know, there's a pretty standard set of recommendations and things that those animals should get every single year, you know, talking about the flea and tick, heartworm, vaccines, fecal, you want to do pre-appointing, you know, whatever, all the dental that you're doing every single time or for every animal throughout the year. And so if you know that and you put it together as a, you know, this is the recommended package that everyone get every time and someone says, you know, that's expensive, I just can't do that or I don't care about some of those things, what other option is there remembering our relativity? You can say, well, if you just if you're only going to do one thing, or these are the top three things that we recommend, you know, if you can't do it all right now, totally understand, start here. These are the most impactful 
And let's just pre-schedule you an appointment in three months to come back and see if, uh, you know, we can handle some of these other pieces uh, when maybe finances are in a different spot. How does that sound? Sure. You know, yeah. that you can yeah. just be and getting them to commit to the next one before they go. But you want to know, yes, it would be great if every single client did these 10 things every single time. And I'm sorry to tell well, you. There goes our 80, 20. Yeah, <laughs> it's not going to happen. happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. But, no. you know, you could get, you know, if you did get 80% of them, that would be great, I'm sure, for a lot of the practices out there. But if you know, for those who say, I just can't do that, what are the top ones that they should get and be ready with that? right away to make it the easy next best option. Yes. And I think we often do that. Well, we'll say like, here is a gold standard that we're going to offer you. And then we're prepared to haggle. So we already have plan B ready and in place and say, okay, here's the, the next best thing after the gold standard is the bronze standard. And if they go for that, great. And, and they, we end up having like this back and forth and this haggle. And then we finally settle on something and we walk away. And so we've done everybody a disservice because the pet's not getting what it needs and the owner you know feels like they have to haggle every time they bring their pet into the vet and but we never follow up with what you were talking about would call it forward booking if you will but we're saying okay we get it that you have to do plan b or c or even d but we never talk about doing part of this other plan b or plan a like at another visit so let's let's do this in a follow-up you know we're barely getting to that staging so really the concept and one of these things that it, you're talking about here, it brings up relativity again and those relative values. So you were talking about the packages and if you start with the gold standard and that's the thing that you think everyone should get and it's your most expensive package, it's setting your anchor at the top and relatively it's more expensive than everything else. And so people are more likely to pick you know, something down from that. So one of the things I advise clients to do is to look at, you know, what's the, what's the one step above the thing that you recommend that most people don't need and is a little bit extra, but that you can start with. So then when they want to come down, it's going to be to that super recommended mm, right. package. Okay. So if you were to say, you know, just as an example, um, I'm going to use boarding as an example. Um, so if you do dog boarding or cat boarding yeah. or whatever. Okay. And so if you were to say, okay, it's, you know, $50 a day uh, to come in and do boarding or, um, you know, we have this skimped down version at $30 that you don't, you know is not a good recommendation and people go, well, like, I, I don't know. I don't need the $50 thing. I'll just pick this $35 one because we're naturally inclined to do that. Yeah. If you were instead to say, bring them in, we have this $100 a day package where they have their favorite music playing and we have their best uh, friend pet that's going to be there with them. They get one-on-one -on -one time with us and we'll trim their nails yeah. and they get a bath <laughs> right? and they have a heated bed or whatever. You know, and that's a gourmet a, cook. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's $100 a day. We also have the $50 a day option where they still get to play with all their friends and they come out once a day. And this is what that looks like, you know, which seems like the best option for you. The people are more likely than to pick that $50 one because like, okay, I don't need to play, pay double for the heated bed. Yeah, <laughs> whatever right. It is. But <laughs> right. now it feels much more reasonable yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. to get the thing that you're recommending. So in the same way, if you were to say, so I know for, uh, you know, if you weren't a fully fear-free certified facility, I know some of my clients are fear-free and you do the, um, you know, the, the scenting and things like that to help calm down with the pheromones and whatnot. But if you just have that as an option versus a, a full aspect of your clinic, you know, you could say when they're coming in to do, uh, if you're doing a surgery or for dental where you're going to have anesthesia, can say we have, um, you know, we make sure to have the, you know, pheromones sprayed onto the blankets that we use. And we have mm -hmm. someone there that's um, petting them the entire time. And there mm -hmm. is their favorite music playing or a show in the background, even though potentially they can't hear it. But like mm -hmm. that, yeah, you know, we right. can do all of this. 
And it's the dental cleaning in that case is $125. Or if you just want the standard where we're still monitoring all their vitals and keeping mm-hmm. them warm and everything, it's only $99, which would you like to move forward mm-hmm. with? Yeah. And again, words like only or it's just $99 when you started with the other thing first. So much higher. It's going to uh-huh. be triggering your brain a little bit differently than saying like, well, you know, dental's 99 bucks, And I know that might seem like a lot, but it's really important. <laughs> Yeah, very the complete opposite, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And I know you not all of your clients are veterinary practices, but I, I do feel like you have enough that you can make a judgment call on here or maybe just generalizing. But what are two or three common mistakes that we make, veterinary practices or businesses in general, that we make in the area of behavioral economics? Like where do we just screw up royally? <laughs> well, I would say, I mean, really all of what we've been talking about already is what I would have brought up. So there's the overwhelm, overeducation, saying too many okay. things that, you know, is one big piece. The framing it as if it's a burden or going in assuming pricing is going to be a problem right. okay. and, uh, you know, making it so that it's going to be a problem. I thought it was interesting with what you had sent me in advance about, you know, this concern that people you know, that clients think that you're all about sales. But I think that the other side of this is more the mindset that you are all about service and that sales shouldn't be mattering or be part of what you're here for. And I know for a lot of what you're taught, you know, in school, and it's the, the care of your patient and what's best for them, but feeling like if you make a recommendation, sometimes if you're influencing someone's choice, that that is bad and not wanting it to seem like you're selling and having that be your own mental hurdle Mm. that's causing a problem. Mm. Mm. That's a great point. So it's our own story. In the area of behavioral science, we talk about choice architecture and nudging. And so you, the way you present choices, that relativity being the perfect example, you know, context and how you present a choice will impact the decision that someone is going to make. And this is where, you know, everybody, I always get the ethics manipulation question, but the thing to note, whether you think about it or not, you are influencing the decision someone is going to make. So you Mm -hmm. might as well think about it in advance and present it in the best way possible. And because you're there for the well-being of their fur baby, as we've already said, and knowing that's what they care about and being able to, you know, where you're petting the animal, they can tell that you love the animal, you know, almost as much as they do in a lot of these cases and being able to say, you know, Fluffy's been coming here for 10 years we feel like we're a part of her family Mm -hmm. and want what's Mm -hmm. best for her just like you do. And in that way, I very highly recommend that you do this. If it were my dog, I would. And knowing that even if just don't get hung up on feeling like someone's going to think you're selling them because it's going to influence the way that you say something to where, and if you, think that they're going to, you're going to also kind of hedge against it on both sides and maybe say like, and I'm not just trying mm-hmm. to sell you something, so, or whatever. And it just, and then you right. screwed it all up. <laughs> just yeah. <by> saying that. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, Melina, what are like one or two really good action items that uh, our, our managers could literally start, you know, tomorrow, whether it's, you know, go and adjust the estimate or use this one phrase in an exam room or something that are just these little, you know, two little nuggets, right? It's that kind of 1% rule. How could they change things on Monday 1% for the better? There is a another concept that we didn't really get into here, but it's called time discounting. And so if you wait, if you say, I'm going to wait until Monday, and when I get there Monday, I'm going to do all these amazing things. I'm going to go implement everything. This is very much also like why you're going to start your new diet and exercise program on Monday. And, you know, how's that been working out? <laughs> Ha, not great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, right. And even where you set the alarm, you know, Sunday night and you are pumped and then it goes off in the morning, you go, ugh, I, well, I obviously didn't sleep well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Talk yourself yeah. out of it. So right. studies have found that we actually, when we're looking at ourselves in the future, we see it as if we are a completely different person. And so our brain will light up as if I'm thinking about someone else. So it's really easy to commit future Melina 
to do the diet and exercise program. She's amazing. Yeah, she work. runs she yeah, runs right? marathons and climbs mountains and eats nothing but, you know, dry chicken and salad, lettuce only, you know, whatever that is. Uh, yeah. When the alarm <laughs> right. actually goes off, it's me again. And then I'm having to preset myself for tomorrow, you know, because I'm pre-committing future me again. And so in the same way of if you think, you know, come Monday morning, I'm going to be so motivated, I'm going to do all these things, but then you get just sucked into the day-to-day stuff, it doesn't work out very well. So your recommendation there, David, of doing something immediately right now to show your brain this matters is critically important. And what I would just even say is, you know, if there was a specific concept that really stuck out for you, maybe it's framing you know, go look at the way that you are messaging. If you have scripts for your team, and I know a lot of clinics do to try to keep them on path, you know, where are you talking in 10% fat terms that you could just shift it to be 90% fat free 90% and it's going to make the difference and taking that a step further, where's the entire industry talking 10% fat? And that you can be the one that's talking 90% fat-free to really st- set yourself stand apart. out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that is one good thing to be doing. And also look for the overwhelm, the all the extras and things that you're putting in front of people. I like to recommend this asking yourself this question of what is the least I can do or say to get this person to take the action that they should be? in this moment. Like what is the one thing I want them to do and what's the least I can do to get them there? Fantastic. I can't wait to, uh, I can't wait for future me to get started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn, if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners today, just one gem, one thing that you say, uh, maybe your, your, um, past self, if you could have told your past self, you know, back in the day, what would it be? I, intentionally close every single episode of my podcast and my email signature is be thoughtful. And so just taking some more time to kind of look around the, you know, the subconscious makes all its decisions based on rules of thumb of things that have worked in the past. So if you were to stop and say, why did I click on that email? Or why did I delete that? Why did I feel like I wanted to throw this away? Why did I zone out when someone else was talking why did I do this or that? Why would they put that on that shelf in the grocery store? <laughs> you know, just yeah. taking mm-hmm. some extra time to think about what's going on, why you're doing things, why someone else might have done things. It can help you be a more curious questioner with your own business as well when you practice kind of looking at the world around you. And I will have to say this is probably my favorite parts of the show is hearing these real life stories that have happened to all of us that are just mind-boggling and although you don't necessarily work in a veterinary practice in the same capacity you still work with people you still work with clients and have you know either an employer or employee or or um co-worker situation a business owner whoever it may be when you have these times when something happens and your chin hits the ground and your eyes pop out like little pugs and your palm hits your forehead and you say to yourself like, holy shit, this just happened. Shut the front door. You cannot make this shit up. Can you share a story with us that you've had in your and your past that has just made you say no freaking way this just happened? I was that person and running my marketing department at the financial institution where I always would look at the like what kind of weird things we could do. And so in a promotion that I came up with uh, about uh, auto refinancing, decided that I wanted to, we found this old car in a barn, this like cool classic car, and we cut it in half and put one half in one mall and one in the other mall. So, and you could like sit in it and take pictures and it was going to be over Thanksgiving. And the premise being it's easier to cut your payment than it is to cut your car. So it stands out. It's a little bit different. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Um, And so, but the whole thing, you know, I paid way more to have it be during that like Thanksgiving week and Black Friday and all this. And, you know, a lot of my staff was out, um, didn't have a huge team anyway, but, you know, it's mostly, it's like me and it's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And I get a call from one of the malls saying, you know, last night the door fell off of 
one of the, you know, the car that we have here. And we had to put a big like stanchion around it. And we put the door like off to the side. Um, and, uh, you know, need someone to come in to fix it. And so we ended up, I had to find the day before Thanksgiving, like a welder, find somebody who was working and you have to go after hours, which it's way later. So it's like 11 o'clock at night to have a welder come meet me at the mall (laughs) and like go in to weld the door back on. And that in this process, they said, oh, and by the way, these couple of petrified mummified rats fell out of the door (gasps) when it fell off um and we have them set aside if you wanted them back what (laughs) holy moly (laughs) (laughs) to which said no no like (laughs) we weren't saving those or anything but because this car had been you know in someone's barn for 30 years or whatever um it had uh you know rats that had died in there wow. so yeah okay. there's my there's my story you're welcome you asked <laughs> uh, we sure did and uh-huh, answered exactly. thank you hey andrea here have you seen our social media pages Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So, Melina, it's been lovely to have you. We're, we're kind of coming towards the end of the show. And at the very end, we always uh, have our rapid fire section. So tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. I would say when I fell down the bleachers during a movie shoot and they had to stop production. Tell me about your proudest moment. Uh, when my book came out. Why behavioral economics? What do you just love so much about that field? Things that we can learn about the brain. There's just always some new connection to make, some new discovery to find, a new question to ask. I just love that there's a lot of different fields coming together to you know, work together to help to make you know, the world a, a better place to communicate within. Work-life balance, veterinary medicine, we often reference it as self-care. How do you practice it? How do you decompress? I spend time with the family and try to, you know, go for walks. Uh, Sometimes, like when you're writing a book, it happens a little less than than you would like. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I would say getting, getting some fresh air and spending time with my family. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience work guilt in that balance? I think that we all do. (laughs) So yes, I would be, you know, would have to lie to say no. Uh, But one of the things for me is because really I have found the work that I'm so passionate about. I'm able to, in the way that my brain is working, you know, the books I want to read or I want to go read an article or when I'm walking through an airport, at least, you know, when I was doing that, be doing that again soon. But, uh, you know, I see an advertisement and go, oh, I wonder why this, that, and the other. The things that get me excited all the time, I've been able to build into my work. So uh, I balance it by, <laughs> like, never shutting off, but in a way that it's stuff that re-energizes me, I guess. So I don't know if that's true balance or it just works for me. What keeps you up at night, things that stress you out um, or things that cause you anxiety in you know, your business or life? You know, there's a lot of content to be created and so many things that I can be working on. So um, just trying to do too many things and having too many exciting opportunities. Uh, so don't, want, don't ever want to fall behind and let anybody down. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? loving the work that I do and new people to talk to and podcast episodes to record and books to write and, and clients to work with (laughs) all that. Awesome. Well, Melina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, Make sure to check out Melina Palmer's book, 
uh, and check out her podcast, The Brainy Business. It's on all the podcast sites as well as YouTube. Um, thank you again and, and have a great weekend. Thank you. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever is expressly disclaimed.